Good morning. Welcome to the village. We're excited that you're here. You look beautiful this morning. Um, we are we are here to enjoy Jesus, to know Jesus, to glorify Jesus, all the things about Jesus. We love Jesus around here. Um, our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Christ's love, and so that's what we hope to do. Um, there is a QR code. If you're not a computer person, that's that computer-looking box on the front. You will open up your camera, and it'll give you a link to go to, and it'll give you all kinds of information about our church. If you're new to us or you're just wanting to know more, um, you can get connected to our social media or fill something out to let us know who you are so we can reach out to you better. Um, at the Village Church, we believe that giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. So you may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or inside our guide, there's a yellow box that gives you some more directions about like, and the address of the church if you wanted to mail a check. But there's also, um, there's also some boxes in the back of the church if you want to give just by dropping something in. Um, but that's an important way that we worship here. Um, in the back of your guide, there are some announcements. The first announcement is that we're going to have on November 26th a kids' music practice after the worship service. So I'm excited. The kids are going to sing in church, and that makes me happy. So anyway, they're going to practice for that. And then on December 3rd, I think that's when they're going to actually sing. But that same Sunday, they're going to have a big kids' Christmas party um, after church. So mark that on your calendar and participate if you've got younger ones. And um, we are just so glad that you're here with us today, and we're going to get ready to worship. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, Y'all ignore me for a minute. Gabriel, will you bring me some water? <laughs> I, I left it. Pretend I didn't say that in the middle of the service. sing this song uh, as a song of preparation as we cry out to the Lord uh, in submission and acknowledgement that if the spirit don't do it it won't get done uh, we are waiting for the Lord to do a mighty work in this place today Release as we 
would please stand for our call to worship. It is uh, found in Psalm 69, verse 30, verses 30, 32, and 34. You will find it on the screen as well as in your worship guide. Please join with me where it notes people. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. Amen. Let your hearts revive this morning.
a hand clap of praise this morning because he is great. His mercy endures forever. Amen. Remain standing for a prayer praise. Good morning. You look beautiful. Let us go before the Lord. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you're good, Lord God, when we're not worthy. You're good. Lord, you're good when we don't feel like ourselves. You're good. Lord, you are good, Lord God, when things don't make sense. Lord, you are good. And we can take hope in that the idea that you are great. We thank you, Lord God, for your love for us when we're not deserving. We thank you for the grace that you've extended towards us, Lord, by giving us your son, Jesus Christ, that we'll never see death or the sting of it. We thank you, Lord God, that you did rise with all power of heaven and earth in your hands. We thank you, Lord God, that you do extend grace to those who are needy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for, for the compassion for you looked upon us as sh like sheep without a shepherd. We thank you, Lord God, that you have emotion and that you do have feelings. We thank you, Lord God, that you can identify with everything that we ever encounter. Thank you, Lord God, that you are not far from the dear and brokenhearted. Thank you, Lord God, that uh, your will will be done even we can't see it being done in our way, in our format, because we want to be God, and we can't be that. There's only one true God, that's you. Thank you, Lord God, that you called us all into righteousness and holiness and purity, Lord God. So if you called us to it, it's achievable. It's fair. It's just. And we can do it in, in your power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for your righteous hand that upholds us and wakes us up every morning. That we seem to just think that just happened just by chance. There's only one who raised someone from the dead that I know of. He had maggots in his chest and in his body. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord God. He was smelling. Lord, you're good and powerful. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the good shepherd. You know our names and we shall know you and we know your voice, Lord. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to us today with power, Lord God. And we thank you for the word that's going to come forth with power and conviction. I pray that our leadership would decrease that you might increase in him. Lord God, but I pray that you'll power him by your Holy Spirit and your might. Lord, I pray that he would know the Lord God that you be for him who can be against him. Lord, I pray that people would know that even as they go out to this week and they take on trials and, and things that they're not ready for, that you will go before them and you'll make the way straight. Thank you, Lord God, that you put a hedge around about us, Lord God. That you protect us, Lord God, when we don't even see you. I got your hands around. The devil got upset when he had to ask for permission to touch Job. He said, I would like to, but you've got a hedge around him. He had to ask for permission. So, Lord, we take comfort in that. We thank you, Lord God, when our kids go off to school, we we confident that they're going to make it back home safely because you're with them, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you call the sun to shine and kiss us this early this morning and you embrace us with a, with a hug as we open our eyes. We thank you so much, Lord God, for your leadership, Lord God, in this church. We thank you for your leadership around the country, Lord God. I pray that you continue to grant us wisdom. I pray that you continue to grant us understanding. I pray that you continue to grant us patience. I pray that you will continue to, Lord, draw us closer to yourself so we'll walk in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you ahead for that, Lord. Lord, we continue to thank you, Lord God, for that you can be everywhere in one, in one, at one time where we can't reach certain things or certain people at that 
So we're thankful that. We thank you, Lord, for your love for us, your commitment to us. When we weren't even thinking about you, Lord, you were thinking about us. So we thank you today. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the things you're going to do in this church and how you're going to grow us and mature us, Lord God. In your name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Now we will have the call to worship. I'm sorry. Prayer praise. I wear glasses and still can't see. The prayer praise. The confession of sin is coming from 1 Kings 8:46. Bravo. If they, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy. Wow. Let us concentrate and meditate on that one. And as always, the Lord gives us a way of escape <laughs> for his, through his mercy as we read the um, assurance of pardon coming from 1 Kings 8, chapter 8, verse 49 through 50, Alpha. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you. Amen. You may be seated. Because 
Good morning, everybody. So I was singing that song, you know, where it says, I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. I was reminded, if y'all been through the, you know, the village class, there's a picture that our um, dear Larry Bricker drew in his usual architect style. But it shows a picture of us and it shows a picture of the cross and it just talks about that great exchange where Jesus takes our sin upon him and goes to the cross and in exchange he gives us his perfect righteousness and imputes that into our heart I was just thinking about that that picture really that song really resonated with me thank you patience our scripture reading comes from Hosea chapter 13 verses 1 through 16 if you are able please stand for the reading of God's word when Ephraim spoke there was trembling he exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did not he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they will be like the morning cloud, in the dew which soon disappears like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied and became satisfied Their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. And I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me. Against your help, where now is your king, that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you requested. Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him. He is not a wise son, for it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he flourishes among the reeds, an east wind will come, the wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry, as his spring will be dried up. It will will plunder his treasure of every precious article, 
Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I was reminded this week that many of us here in our congregation are hurting. It's not just easier for us to look to our own issues, our own problems, and ignore those of those around us. And so, Father, I do pray for each of us here who is going through a hard time, who is hurting, maybe from physical pain or physical sickness or emotional or mental sickness or illness, from church hurt, from all kinds of pain, from our own sin and from the sins of others. And so, Father, for each of us, I pray for your spirit to fall upon us. Your scripture tells us that there is healing in your wings. Help us to be like the woman who comes to Jesus in the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. And the power from him transferred to her and healed her. Heal us, Father. Give us the faith and the strength to come to you in the midst of our suffering. Your scripture tells us that we are to come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give us peace. Thank you for that, Father. And help all of us to come around each other, to pray for each other, to laugh with each other, to cry with each other, to be there for each other, and just to sit in the midst of our suffering. And Father, I thank you for the joy that many of us are experiencing right now in you and in our life. I just thank you for that. Your blessings pour out upon us day by day. Father, I pray for this world. I pray for the wars and the conflicts that are going on around this world and the suffering, the human toll of all of that. Who can understand it? But I know that you are there in their midst. And I pray that you would fall upon them as well. That you would help them. That you would ease their suffering. That you would give wisdom to these world leaders and, and, and help us all. Father, we love you. We need you. You are like the bread of life to us. We can't even go another breath without your spirit being there. So help us. Draw us into your presence and into your um, holy of holies, that we may worship you there. In the name of Jesus, amen.
everyone, guests, members. Has God's grace been amazing in your life this week? Well, praise God. Give him a hand clap of praise this week. As uh, Richard was reading the text today, I was like, man, this is hitting pretty differently than it did during the week. I was like, why am I preaching this? So, but God's word is God's word, even the hard stuff. The Decline of the West is a two-volume work written by Oswald Sangler. In this work, he theorized about he theorized that civilizations go through four essential phases where they rise and inevitably they fall. First, civilizations are born. Second, they grow. Third, they bloom and they flower. And fourth, civilizations die or decline. Where is America in this in this four essential phases? Where is the church in America? Where is the village church? If you have your Bible, please, or a Bible app, open it to Hosea 13. That's Hosea chapter 13. The verses are 1 through 16. The big idea in this sermon is this. The northern kingdom of Israel is in the fourth essential phase of civilization. The fourth phase. That's why I've titled this message The Fall of the House of Israel. The Fall of the House of Israel. Pray with me and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to uh, this part of the service and as we enter into this passage today that's filled with a lot of graphic language and a lot of hard language. And some of it is really hard to understand and hard to reconcile in our hearts and in our minds, if we're, if we're completely honest. And so I just pray that you give us insight as we work through this passage, that you will help us glean what we need to glean from it, and that you will minister to our hearts and to our minds and to our emotions, to minister to us holistically that you would take the words of Hosea 13 and let us be able to glean from that things that we can take from this message and apply it to our life as we head back out into the world for one more week. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. What is your favorite book, movie, or story? This is congregation participation time, so you can start naming off some stuff. Yeah, okay, that's one. Anything else? Feel the Mockingbird. Any other favorite movies, stories? Yes, one of my favorites. Your favorite book, your movie, your favorite story, they all share some key elements that, that makes them great. And, and Climax is, is one of those elements, a very good story or a, a movie. And who likes to ride roller coasters? I don't because I'm afraid of heights. See, the climax of your favorite book and story is like a roller coaster. And according to uh, study.com, just like the very top of the roller coaster, it's the most intense and scary part of the ride. 
The climax of a plot is the most exciting part of the story. You see, the climax is, is the turning point and of the story. It's what your story has been building up to. And the climax can include, it can, can include victories, it can include defeats. It can include positive things, and it can include negative things. The main goal of the climax is to resolve the conflict in your favorite story, book, or movie. What's the conflict in the book of Hosea? Who's the conflict between in the book of Hosea? The conflict in the book of Hosea is between the Lord God and the northern kingdom of Israel. It's between his faithfulness and their unfaithfulness. It's between his covenant loyalty and their covenant disloyalty. It's between worshiping the Lord God and also worshiping false gods. It's between a call to repentance and a continual refusal to repent. So now Hosea 13 reaches a climax. It's not the climax of, of the book. Chapter 13 is, is the climax of, of all of Hosea's prophetic warnings and prophecies of doom. In this one chapter, he's summarizing those things. And everything comes to a head in Hosea 13. The fall of the house of Israel is happening. It's happening. It happens because the northern kingdom refuses to acknowledge and repent of their covenant unfaithfulness to the Lord God. The historical record that details all the events that, that leads to the fall of the house of Israel are recorded in 1 Kings chapter 12 all the way through 2 Kings 17. So if you want to get all the, get into the weeds of it, Go back to the first, go back to the book of Kings. It details everything that leads to Hosea 13. Their track record of covenant unfaithfulness, it predates Hosea. How old do you think these issues are in the northern kingdom? 200 years, y'all. 200-year-old problem. And so Hosea enters into a lot of mess that was there before his birth. So the mess of the, of the kingdom uh, uh, stuck in, it goes way, way back. And, and they won't change. They continue to refuse to, to listen to the Lord and, and won't listen to the prophet Hosea. They won't listen to the Lord. They continue to walk in, in unfaithfulness. And, and their 200-year-old faithfulness, the 200-year-old unfaithfulness, it looks like arrogance. That's what it looks like. So the northern kingdom has a big head. And that means they have an exaggerated sense of their own importance, their own resources, their own power. Who knows? Are you in a relationship with someone who knows it all? Someone who just has all the right answers? They can come off as cocky, prideful, arrogant. Hosea addresses their arrogance and their big-headedness in verse 1. He says, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling, and he exalted himself in Israel. 
Ephraim here, it refers to a region of Mount Ephraim. And and, in the region of Mount Ephraim, that's where the royal palace of the king of the north was located. That's why the king of of the north is called the king of Samaria, because that's the capital of the northern kingdom. It's the seat of all the northern kingdoms. Power and political decisions is in Ephraim. So Hosea, in this first verse, he's addressing the king, the princes, and the rulers of the kingdom. You see, the people responsible to govern and to guide the northern kingdom are only doing what's right in their own eyes, not what's right in the eyes of the Lord. This speaking here, this trembling, and this display of power are all signs of arrogance. The king of Samaria has the big head, the princes, the rulers, the whole kingdom. Why? For their power and prosperity and privileges have gone to their head. It's like they're patting themselves on the back for the blessings and provisions given to them by the Lord God. Do you think you have everything you have just because you went to college and was raised in a good home? Or is it because God's been faithful to you? You have everything that you have because of your hard work or it's because God has blessed you. It's because God has blessed. He has blessed. And he's and, and in verse 2 it says, Oh, Ephraim says, I am rich and, and I, have, I have wealth for myself and, and all my labors they cannot find any iniquity in me. This is what they say of themselves back in chapter 12, which I preached on a few weeks ago. And so they are saying, I have, my hands have done this. We have done all these things without Yahweh's help. So what about us as parents? Are we doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As church leaders, are we doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As pastors of this church, am I doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As as students, are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As a a boss or a manager, are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As an employee, are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As a friend or spouse, are you doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? As church members, are we doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord? The good news is that through Christ and through faith in Christ, we can. And so, so all of us, regardless of our age, we, we have responsibilities. And, and, and all of us are stewards of all the blessings and provisions God has given to us. We don't own any of it. As parents, those are God's kids. You're stewards of them. Your material possessions, Jesus. Everything you got. Your gifts belong to him. Your time belongs to him. Our talents belong to him. We are simply stewards. And so whatever kung fu grip you have around the stuff in your life, Jesus is trying to prowl it away because he's saying, that's mine. That's mine. That belongs to me. And I'm calling you to use it in ways that honors me. 
we can use all the things that God has blessed us with to glorify him through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do that as Christians. We can. And yet at certain times in our life, we will use those same provisions and blessings to try to steal God's honor and glory for ourselves. Have you ever struggled with that? Or is it just me? Do I need to? Do you ever struggle with stealing God's glory? Do you ever struggle wanting man's praise? You do. We all do. So there are times in our life where we're going to be arrogant. Yep. Look at how good I'm doing. This church show is lucky to have me as a pastor. What would they do without me? Yes. Yes. My, my spouse should be grateful for me. What, 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 would this, what would this person do without me in their life? I am God's gift to this person. Man, my kids are so lucky to have me. Man, man, my parents are so lucky. I'm the good kid. I don't know about my siblings, but man, I follow all the rules. Do all the right things. So there are times going to be when, we, when we're doing things that's right in our own eyes and we're walking around town and a house with our heads so big and, and we get caught up in who we are and, and our stuff. And, and when those times come, God may send a Hosea in your life to, bring, to shrink your head down so that you can repent of your arrogance. And at other times, the Holy Spirit will convict you of your arrogance. Embrace his voice and his conviction and let him lead you to repentance. And so when we are in those seasons and, and, and we are being convicted of these things, that don't explain it away. Just own it. Confess, repent, and pray for transformation. There's always hope for us in our struggles with self-sufficiency and in our struggles with arrogance and our wandering from God's house out into the far country, you can always come home. And that in home is repentance. Now, there will be consequences, but you can still come home. But do you believe it? There's nothing that we can do. There's no boundaries we can put in our life that's going to stop us from struggling with sin. We're going to struggle with such things. Arrogance is one of them. Self-righteousness is one of them. What you do is you don't hide it. You just own it and repent of it and move on. Because the only way we get complete freedom from this stuff is when we die and cross over. So as long as we're breathing, we got to learn to live in the grace. we got to learn to live through the means of grace as you struggle with things you're going to struggle with. You're going to still struggle with them. The Kellys gathered their family around the kitchen table one morning for family devotions. The parents were there, and their kids were there, an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. And they were reading through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the parents asked the kids this question, what is an idol? So all three kids answered, anything you love more than God. They started naming a series of potential idols from ice cream to puppies to, to toys, whatever. Then both parents asked the kids two final questions. 
But how do you know if something is an idol? How do you know if you love something more than God? The table was silent at this point. No answers were given. The devotional time, it appeared to, to be over until, until the eight-year-old spoke up. The eight-year-old child said, you know, it's an idol if you think you can never be happy without it. From the mouth of babes, y'all. You know it's an idol if you think you can never be happy without it. Who or what can't you ever be happy without it? Who or what can't you ever be happy without? What are the idols of our heart? Young people, what are the idols of your little heart? Idolatry is another way that the northern kingdom has been generationally unfaithful to the Lord God. And like arrogance, idolatry is a 200-year-old problem in the northern kingdom. And this problem can be traced back to King Jeroboam, who was the first king of the northern kingdom after the kingdom split into two kingdoms. And, And here's the thing. He led the northern kingdom into idolatry from its inception. He had two golden calves built. He placed one in Bethel, and the other one he placed in Dan. And all of this is recorded in 1 Kings 12. All of this history. And none of the kings in the north after Jeroboam did anything to turn the nation away from idolatry and back to the Lord. You know the northern kingdom didn't have any good kings? None. I think they had zero good kings. And there's one phrase that followed Every king in the north, it was this, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> Followed after every king. And so these, these kings, they all just doubled down on idolatry. Not that, and not only did they double down on it, they built on the idolatry. They made it better, shinier, and prettier. And so the kingship in the north, are all guilty of instituting false worship. And this guilt eventually leads to the downfall of the kingship. Look at verse 1 again. When the Ephraim spoke, they were, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, and he incurred guilt through Baal and died. He incurred guilt through Baal and died. TBC Kids, I have two questions for y'all. Are y'all ready? You ready? First, what does monotheism mean? Yes, man, that's so good. It's the belief that there is only one God. What does polytheism mean? Uh, the what? Yes, it's the belief in more than one God. What's our faith? Yes, Christianity is monotheistic. And guess who else is supposed to be monotheistic? the Israelites in the north. The Lord God is the one true God, but in the northern kingdom has transitioned to to polytheism. And so this is true for the rulers and the princes and the kings, for the citizens, the whole kingdom. They haven't, listen, they haven't just 
place Yahweh under the dirt, they are worshiping him along with other gods. They are adding to their deity. And so they, in doing so, guess what they do to the Lord God? They reduce him down to a cultic false deity that can be forced, that can be fashioned and created in the way they want him to be fashioned and, and created. And you know what we call that? That's Plato Jesus. You know what Plato, you get to fashion things the way you want to fashion it. And so if yeah, so when we reduce God and we reduce Jesus so far down to our level, it's just Plato. Well, what, how do you want Jesus to be today? Well, let me get some red Plato. Give me some of that brown Plato. Yeah, give me some of that white Plato. And let me like create him into my own image. And so that's what's happening in, in the Northern Kingdom. And so how have we reduced Jesus? to a cultured, Americanized deity. His only purpose is to serve my politics and my culture and, and my agenda and all I want. How, how have we just Americanized someone who isn't even American? How are we doing that? How are we doing you recognize the ways in which you have all these many different Plato Jesuses and whatever you need him to be for the day, that's the one you take with you. And you stand it back on the shelf when you get home. Designers and painters, photographers, poets, playwrights, artists, musicians, they share a title. What's the name? What's that title they all share? Yes, y'all creators. Creators are people who can make their ideas tangible. Some of you here are creators, and you do a good job of uh, making your ideas tangible. And so, likewise, there are creatives in the Northern Kingdom who are making their ideas tangible. They're using their creative powers for evil and not good, to dishonor God, not to honor God. These creatives in the northern kingdom are called craftsmen. And they have a particular set of skills. And each of them can skillfully create an idol made of silver. Look at verse 2. And now they sin more and more. They make for themselves metal images. Idols skillfully made of their silver. Silver. All of them the work of craftsmen. So so picture that so basically, whoever been to Panoply? You ever been to Panoply? Okay. That's what's happening here. There's idols everywhere. And so all you gotta do is go, huh. What kind of idol is this? All right, how much does it cost? All right, here you go. I'll take it home, put it on my shelf. So it's a free market where you can just go buy idols. Whatever idol you need. And so this is like big business. So I have a skill. Y'all want an idol. Bring me your silver, and I'll fashion you an idol. And that's Plato. So the people here are loyal to these man-made images, and they worship them. And not only do they worship them, they make sacrifices to them, animal sacrifices and human sacrifices. 
Testament, you can see how far Israel has declined. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where Yahweh demands that we sacrifice our youth. Now, the only one that we saw, he provided the lamb. So this is what's happening. And it says those who offer human sacrifices, they kiss calves. I know this is hard. I know the language is hard. And, and what Hosea has shown us is the northern kingdom is basically has reached a point of no return. The house is going to fall because of its long history of refusing to repent of idolatry and apostasy and arrogance and, and corruption and injustice and oppression. The Lord God, how long do you think he's been warning them? 200 years. 200 years. He's been warning them of their covenant unfaithfulness. You know what I call that? Love. Patience. Long-suffering. Because you got to think, even in the midst of the covenant unfaithfulness, the northern kingdom prospered. Hosea enters the northern kingdom at the height of its prosperity. And everything's great on the outside. What do I call it? The velvet ghetto. It looks good on the outside, but in the middle... When you get into it, oh, man, it's not too good. And so the Lord sent prophet after prophet to them out of love. And they they didn't listen. And they're still not listening to Hosea. In 2 Kings 17, listen to what uh, 2 Kings 17 verses 13 and 14 says. It says, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet. In every seal, saying, turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with the law that I commanded your fathers, that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. But they were stubborn, as their fathers have been, and would not believe in the Lord their God. And as a consequence, the northern kingdom is going to vanish, be blown away. Look at the language used in verse 3. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist, like the dew that goes away early, like the shaft that swirls from the threshing floor, like the smoke from a window. And these are all word pictures to show that the northern kingdom is going to disappear from the face of the earth, and it will never be seen again. Like war is coming. The Assyrian Empire is going to invade. The house of Israel will fall. The capital in Samaria will fall. Exile is coming. The king and the princes and the rulers, they would not be able to save the people in all their cities. Human powers can't stop what's coming. Look at verses 15 and 16. So he may flourish among his brothers. The east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come and rise from the wilderness. And his fountains shall dry up. His springs shall perch. It shall be stripped of its treasury and precious things. This is the fall of the capital. Samaria, Samaria will bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. The little ones shall be dashed into pieces and pregnant women ripped open. That's graphic language. And honestly, I don't know what to do with that. I have a, I'm having, I had a hard time reconciling it in my mind. Tough to digest. Fall by the sword. Babies dash to pieces. 
pregnant women ripped open? Is this literal or figurative? What I can say is war is messy and unpredictable. And the civilians are often the ones that suffer the most. And there's no way to make God's judgment on the northern kingdom beautiful. I, I can't make it beautiful because it's not beautiful. There's nothing wonderful about war and reading about a whole nation falling apart. There's, there's nothing that, that I can say to make it taste good, to make the medicine taste good. It, I, don't, I don't think it's supposed to taste good. I think we should be feeling what we're feeling when we read that. Like, oh, cringe. Like, ooh. Like, was that, did that really happen? It's nothing fun when you're watching the whole nation experience the consequences of their sin. And then, and then not only that, what gets more difficult is when you realize that the God is not just allowing it to happen. He's the one doing it. about it. It's one thing to say he allowed it to happen, but it's another thing to say he's actually doing it. How do you reconcile that with a God who says he's good? I'm just asking questions. It comes from his hands. He causes the house of Israel to fall. The east wind that's coming to them is Yahweh's wind. And his presence among the people in, in the north is going to change to that like a wild animal. I mean, more graphic language? Look at the pronouns. I'm to them like a lion. Like a leopard. I will lure beside the way. Like, wait, what? Like, you're going to be hiding in the alley? I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts. And I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast will open them up. I destroy you, O Israel, for you are against me, your help. You cannot read that, and it doesn't make you question something. Imagine having a, a Christian hymn written with those verses in it. Lord God has been a faithful helper and provider to the Israelites forever. You got to look at the whole kingdom all the way back even before they were a kingdom with the call of Abraham and all the way through the Exodus. He has been faithful. He's been a faithful shepherd to them through Moses, through Joshua, and all the other prophets. And even in the midst of their past and present unfaithfulness, he has remained faithful for 200 years. He, he, he remained faithful to them in, in, in all the things that they have done. And, and, and even now, with, with Hosea gone, he's remaining faithful. And he sent Hosea to them to warn them. And because what did he want them to do? Just acknowledge what you have done and repent and return to me. And I will forgive you. 
Because remember, Hosea opens with an illustration of marriage with Hosea and his wife Gomer. That whole three chapters of Hosea is all about God is a faithful spouse and Israel is an unfaithful spouse. And all he wants them to do is to return to me. Not me and your other lovers. Me. Not me and Baal. Me. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, I'm still the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. Point them back. You know no God but me. Besides me, there is no Savior. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. What he's saying is that when you wasn't a nation, I knew you. When you didn't have all this prosperity, I knew you. When you were nomads, I knew you. I knew you then. I knew you when you were nobody. I brought you out of the land of slavery. I did that. I led you by the cloud. I gave you manna in the wilderness. I did that out of love, out of care, like a shepherd. I did that for you. For 200 plus years, I've been faithful. I've loved you. I've cared for you. And all the power that they have right now as a nation, it comes from his hands. He's the reason the nation has flourished through all these years, even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Because it, he could have cut this off 200 years ago. But he didn't. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet, turn back to the Lord. Acknowledge your guilt and return. That, how many of you can faithfully do that in a relationship when you know the other person ain't doing you right. You just stay. None of us will. You won't stay married to a spouse like that. If your kids do that, you eventually kick them out of the house. You won't do it. But God does that because he's different like that. He's long-suffering. He says in verse 6, when they got all their blessings, when they got all these things from me, he says, they became full. And when they became full, their hearts became hard. And they forgot. They took all of my blessings, all of my provision, and they started thinking, we're the ones doing it. And they forgot me. And as a church today is no different. Christians are no different. We're no different. I'm no different. The village church is no different. We forget Jesus all the time. His blessings, his prosperity, his past faithfulness to us. We've forgotten the hand that feeds us. We worship God's blessings instead of him. And how are we making idols out of your relationships, out of technology, out of ministry, out of grades, out of money? Remember, we can never say we'll never do that. We can never say that would never happen here. That's a lie. It can. 
all of us here can commit the same sins that we judge other people for. But not beyond the sins in the northern kingdom is dealing with. We will struggle with them. And when we do, there will be consequences. But the good news is that there's always hope. And that hope, if you are a Christian, is repentance and forgiveness. This is what the God wants from. Please note, he takes no pleasure in sending the northern kingdom into exile. He takes no pleasure in that. He, he, can, he wants them to repent. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says, the iniquity of Ephraim is bounded up. His sin is kept in store. The pains of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. See, their sin is before them. And, and, and conviction here is like the pains of childbirth. Like, do you feel the conviction? And then the repentance is, is the actual birth. But he says, they don't refuse to be born. Instead, they just go back into the womb and won't come. So he says, they won't present themselves to me with contrite and humble hearts that are, are repentant. And so the Lord asks himself, should I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Should I redeem them from death? Where are your pains, death? Where is your destruction, Sheol? My eyes are closed to compassion. Again, that's harsh. Like I said, there's no way to make God's judgments beautiful. It's hard hearing the Lord say he's closing his eyes to compassion. That's harsh. It's hard hearing him extend an invitation to death. That's what those questions mean. He's extending the invitation to death in the grave. It's hard to hear him say he won't redeem or ransom the northern kingdom. It's hard accepting that God is good, but he ain't going to stop the exile. Or is it just me? In 721 B.C., the Assyrian Empire would capture the northern kingdom of Israel. 727 B.C. It would take the ten tribes in the north into captivity. And those ten tribes would become lost to history. They vanish like the mist and dew in the morning. Everything that God says in this chapter happens. They vanish. And it feels like all hope is lost. It looks like all hope is lost. It's hard and painful, but yet there's still hope, and there's a future hope, and Marcus is going to preach on that next week in chapter 14. But, but what about us? For this is a heavy chapter, heavy. And I'm sure you don't feel, some of you don't feel hopeful right now. Filled with a lot of graphic language about wrath and judgment and, and death with little glimpses of, of hope and, and, and restoration. TBC Saints, Hosea 13, it should push us more towards Jesus. Okay? That's what it should push us towards. Do I even need to pull out the sign? When you, whenever you read the Old Testament prophecies and all this, it should push us as Christians who got the, the finished word of God, it should push us more and more to Christ. 
So if you already have faith in Christ, then this chapter should push you closer to him. Like, thank you, Jesus, because, whoo, without you, I'd be in trouble. If you don't have saving faith in him, then it should push you to him for the first time. For you're lost in sin. Only God's righteous wrath. You see, Jesus does, as a prophet, what Hosea can never do during his ministry. Do you know what Jesus can do? He opens God's eyes to compassion towards sin. He opens God's eyes to compassion to you. You didn't do that. Jesus does that. So that when God sees you, he sees you with eyes of compassion because of Jesus. Jesus turns Hosea 13, 14 upside down. The no's become yeses. The invitations to death in the grave are taken back. Yo, give me those back. I'm taking them. Should I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Yes. Yes. Should I redeem them from the death? Yes. As Paul writes, do you know what do you know who quotes Hosea 14? Paul does. In 1 Corinthians 15. What does he say? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh victory, where is your oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Sounds familiar? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All you should stand up and clap right now. Because Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And when you look at that table before you, it is a reminder that death is swallowed up in victory. Because as Richard said earlier, is that Christ, what he did in the great change is that he suffered death in the grave on our behalf. I hope you realize all the things that God says about the northern kingdom, what's going to happen to them, Jesus experienced. When, 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 when he died on the cross, the father turned his eyes away from the son. He experienced separation, almost like an exile for us. And this meal is a reminder that death could not hold him down. The grave could not hold him down. It's a reminder that all of your sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins, are nailed to the cross. I want y'all to say it. All my sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, are all nailed to the cross. And I bear them no more. Do you believe it? This is what this meal is a reminder of. And Jesus, if you have faith in Christ, if you are a member of a church that preaches the gospel, then he invites this church, he invites you to partake of this meal so that the spirit can use these common elements to provide spiritual nourishment for you and for me. So the invitation is open to you. Like these are the bread is common, the juice is common. They don't become the blood of Christ or the body of Christ. 
but we believe that something supernatural really does happen for believers when we take communion. So whatever you need healing for, whatever you need clarity on, ask the Holy Spirit to, to give it to you as you partake of these elements today. Friends and neighbors, if you don't have faith in Christ today, thank you for being here, and I would love to talk with you after the service about how you can have a relationship with Jesus. Parents or uh, guardians, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you are a member of. And now can I have all the attention of all the kids? Your Pastor Alex, your attention. I want each of you to know that this meal is a reminder that Jesus loves you. It is a reminder that he went to the cross because he loves you. It is a reminder that he wants you to be able to partake of this meal with your parents one day. And so as your pastor, it is my prayer that each and every one of you little people will come to saving faith in Christ and be able to partake of this meal with your parents or your guardians. And as I said, as I always say during communion, if you have a question for Pastor Alex, your parents have my number. Ask me. I, don't, I might not have all the answers, but I do my best to answer because I'm your pastor too. I'm not just a pastor for the grown-ups. I'm the pastor for all the little kids as well. So if you have a question, reach out to me. Now let us go to the Lord in prayer and I, as I ask the Holy Spirit to bless the, the servant of communion. Holy Spirit, you know what we need. You know the, the nourishment that we need. You know that this was a hard word today. It's not fun dealing with judgment. Sometimes I wish I can just skip over those, those books and verses, but I can't. It is still part of the word of God. And so I pray that whatever we're feeling right now, whatever discouragement that we're feeling, burnout, tiredness, hurt, regret, I pray that you will give us the nourishment that we need today, that you will renew our stamina, you will renew our, our joy, the joy of our salvation. And I pray that you would do that for our good and for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he, was, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because the words you say are I'm accepting your word today I'm alive and well in Jesus Because you died and rose again I'm forgiven 
body broken for you eat of it all of you in the same manner he also took a cup and having given thanks he gave it to his disciples saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the remission of Beloved sons and daughters of a good father, Christ's blood shed for all your sins, past, present, and future. Drink from it, all of you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you have done to reconcile us to God, that we can have peace with God. Thank you for what you still are doing to make intercession on our behalf. And I pray for each of us as we're traveling this week for Thanksgiving. Help us to 
remember ways in which you have blessed us and let us offer to you praises of thanksgiving for the ways in which you have blessed our life. I pray that for some of us who this holiday season may be hard because of loss of loved ones. I pray for comfort. I pray for those who will be traveling that may be conflict with their families. I pray for peace of mind and also maybe some reconciliation to take place. Or for some, they might not need to go. But I'll leave that decision up to them and you. But I just pray that you give us what we need so that we can flourish and have weeks in which we know that we will see the goodness of the Lord and the Lamb of the living. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close uh, our service? equipment classes after the service. The adults will meet here for sermon discussion. The youth will be in the youth room and the village kids will be in the annex. Also, my family and I will be traveling to Georgia for Thanksgiving tomorrow, so please pray for our safe travels. And after the benediction, I will meet. Can y'all stay around for a moment? Uh, Patience has a, a little announcement. So after the benediction. So here's God's benediction. Now may the God of May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. May the Lord be with you all. Amen. Please have a seat for just a few moments.